You're dead. Right now. I've killed you. You were half asleep. I'll do better next time. Come again. Adapt or die. Think on your feet. Even when I'm sleeping. I'm ready. All you have to do is flip that switch. It tells Mirza Regla where we are. Only you can get close enough. She won't stop until you're dead. Or she is. Come and find me. Marissa, we picked up an unencrypted signal below the Arctic Circle. We think it's Eric Heller. Heller is a rogue asset. I propose we go in and pull him out. We need to keep this contained, gentlemen. Papa. Remember what I taught you, you'll be fine. I want to speak to Marissa Fiegler. My name is Marissa Vaylor. You wanted to speak to me? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the B-Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Kautzer, and today we are finishing up the uh, month-long series Badass Women with Hannah, uh, the second half of our uh, final double feature, uh, Badass uh, uh, badass Women Spies, and uh, I hope you enjoyed the last episode with Olivia uh, joining us for that really long deep uh, deep dive discussion into Atomic Blonde and uh, very thankfully and surprisingly um, a discussion about, and, and I was hoping for it, uh, a great discussion about um, Charlize Theron and uh, gender politics. So uh, take a look at that one. Um, I highly recommend it. But today we are talking about Joe Wright's uh, 2011 film, Hannah, starring Cersei Ronan as the title character, uh, Hannah, and also starring a supporting cast of a, like, just basically a who's who of uh, British acting. Um, uh, presently, you could just, like, throw a stick at any one of these, uh, any one of the actors that play a supporting role in this film, and literally, they are probably either um, in a Marvel movie, fucking a BBC limited series, an HBO limited series, they're doing something of substance, and it's kind of fucking great and amazing. I'm glad that all of these actors are getting a lot more work. What I'm not happy about is just Hannah's status as an action film. So why don't we just kind of get right into the movie itself and the discussion about, um, about Hannah, and um, a large part of the reason why I chose this film is because of that very fact of that no one talks about this this film as a great action film, and it is a fucking great action film. Um, I think the key to this, which is really odd, there's two key factors, which is Joe Wright and the soundtrack. And we will get into the soundtrack at a later point, and also uh, director Joe Wright and how... This is such a one-off for him uh, with his career trajectory when we kind of get into like like the kinds of films that he makes as opposed to the kind of film that this is. Um, but uh, it's beautifully directed, acted, it's tightly scripted, and like, like Atomic Blonde last week, it shares this it shares this concise, story uh, like correlation between storytelling and action like none of the action in this film is un uh, unmotivated very much so like atomic blonde and it not it not only like atomic blonde it's unmo it's motivated but ultimately it falls on it falls on the side of like the way that hong kong films are are created where the action is a part of the emotion, a part of the storytelling and the character building, and it informs on the characters uh, very much, very much so. Um, and to see the way that Joe Wright directs this film and the way he directs the action is exactly like a Hong Kong film uh, with like these beautiful single takes that allow the actors to really... Uh, to really like you know show off and how good they are at uh, at these uh, with the uh, with the hand-to-hand -hand combat scenes because this film um, 
unlike a lot of spy films, uh, and very similarly to Atomic Blonde, it sides on the martial arts side of of action, which I fucking love. Like there is gunplay in both, but I think that it's kept to a minimum because of the fact that. Uh, these are more physically motivated films, um, especially Hannah. I mean, Hannah is like one of these films when you initially see it, you're like, wow, this is this is something completely different than I'm used to in a spy film. Um, not just because it at the center of it is a 15 year old child that or 15 year old teenager that just kicks everybody's fucking ass in this movie. Um, Cersei Ronan is just fucking amazing in this movie. Um, she, <laughs> Lady Bird herself, just uh, literally comes out swinging. I mean, this is the film that where I took notice of her. Um, and we'll talk a little more about that uh, in a little bit. But why don't we actually get into the bulk of the story and what Hannah is about. And um, Hannah is a... <clears throat> It's a fairy tale of sorts, um, very much uh, like of the cut from the uh, grim, <clears throat> the grim fairy tales um, kind of cloth of storytelling. It's a very dark journey for a child um, uh, when she is separated from her father. Essentially, um, what has happened is, is that Hannah and her father, Eric Heller, um, have lived all of their life, all of her life, 15 years in uh, um, <clears throat> in the middle of the forest. I mean, literally, it's like the middle of an enchanted forest um, in Finland uh, where Eric has who is an ex-CIA agent out of or ex-CIA operative out of uh, um, out of Germany has taken Hannah and uh, basically trained her to be an elite spy uh, and survivalist. I mean, the first 20 minutes of this film are pretty fucking fantastic as we get to know Eric and uh, Hannah and their their routines in the forest as they hunt for them. They hunt, uh, like, the, mov the movie opens with uh, her hunting a deer, and it's a, it's a very much so, a, like, a visual flourish that goes throughout the film. But um, we find through this 20 minutes, we, we get to know um, Eric and Hannah through their actions and not so much through their words. Because it's a very, uh, th that first 20 minutes is very, I wouldn't say it's silent, but the, the dialogue is kept to a purposeful minimum. Um, and But Joe Wright is just flexing his muscles with like the storytelling and uh we're able to get everything that we need to know about Hannah and Eric um, very quickly. Like, and it, it is a, tw a quick 20 minutes uh, before we like the plot moves into action, but we're kind of given the basis of like this father daughter relationship and, um, and see that she's been trained to be, to be this elite killer. But like most teenagers, she's, a little awkward and she has questions um and she really doesn't know the 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 human world I, I i guess i could say um it's very interesting because everything that's everything that's to come uh with the film is all laid into that like all of the the strife and all of the development of Hannah and where she goes is all embedded in and laid in that first 20 minutes. You can kind of tell where she's, what kind of journey she's going to go on, not in a bad way, but just in a very elegant way, uh, like a very elegant storytelling way. Um, so with that setup, we, um, eventually find out that Hannah's mother was 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 killed by a the direct one of the directors of the CIA Melissa uh, Marissa uh, Vigler and played by the amazing Kate Blanchett um and the movie is what happens when their plan Eric and Hannah's plan to uh kill the witch as as it's stated in a in a postcard at a certain point um is enacted and eric has prepared her 
to take on the CIA and Marissa, but what he's not prepared Hannah for is the outside world. He tries to in these little moments, but like her, like herself, Eric is a bit of a one-off. He's like, you know, it, it, you can tell, like, once you've watched this movie a few times, you can very much tell that Eric is a, uh, Eric is a is a broken soul. I mean, you can even tell in in like the first viewing of the film, um, but it's very apparent that he is he is a broken soul. Um, the more you watch it and realize that him taking Hannah out into the woods is probably what he would like. If he didn't have Hannah, he would have eventually done that and just spent the rest of his life uh, in the woods. Uh, he's a very interior, uh, interior character, but as played by Eric Bana, it's just fucking amazing. Like the way, the way that he's able to, to express in this performance the kind of man he is. Um, like, I hold this, like, with... Like, I'm a huge supporter of Eric Bana. I think that he's a great actor that just... He had his shot, but I think that Hollywood just didn't know how to use him. I think that one person used him properly, which was Spielberg in Munich. Uh, I think his performance is amazing in that. But it's nowhere near uh, the, um, the, the towering performance that is Chopper in the Andrew Dominic film. Um, uh, and I think here he's used very differently, um, very much more like the Munich mold. But through that, he's he's been given these two really interesting, the, these three performances are extremely interesting and you just kind of, you wish that they had given him more and they had not tried to make him the Hulk. <laughs> I mean, quite literally, you really wish that they had not given the Hulk after you've seen these films and you've specifically seen Hannah and just how interesting um, he is as an actor. But uh, the spotlight in this film is all Cersei Ronan, which those that have come to love her as Lady Bird are going to be really shocked by this film because uh, Hannah bears no resemblance to... Um, to Lady Bird or any of the other performances that Cersei Ronan has done uh, in her short time in her short career. Uh, I, I feel like what I find amazing about her as a talent is it's not it it's not how good she is, it's how good she is at everything that she fucking does. I mean, this film was made by Joe Wright specifically because after um, after her uh, their first collaboration in Atonement, which was four years prior, she was like ten or eleven years old when she made that film. And I mean, it's not to say that that Atonement isn't a great film. Um, I wasn't trying to knock it when I first ta started talking about Cersei Ronan and uh, when I first recognized her. I think that it was the one-two combination of Atonement and Hannah together that really uh, struck a chord because the same the same girl that tr that navigated that tricky script of Atonement literally went <laughs> literally went into a completely different realm and a completely different kind of performance. It's not just it's not it, it's not just the the part, but it's the actual style of performance that really kind of struck me is because Hannah is such a nonverbal physical performance whereas Atonement is a very typical um is a very like what I feel is a very standard like award award bait um, child performance. It's very similar to, like, to me, it's very similar to Anna Paquin's performance in The Piano. Um, it, it's still very complex, but it's done with emotions in a way that a child, if you're, if you're a skilled enough director, it, like, you know, um, you're able to get that, you can coax that performance out of a child. It doesn't necessarily mean that the child is a great actor. It's just, it means that the director can flex his or her muscle to shape that performance. Um, I think that Hannah, as a purely physical performance, because Hannah does not speak very often in this film, she, I mean, she interacts 
and she bounces off people, but it's a it's a very physical and nonverbal performance. I mean, there again, there are moments where she she does talk and she does interact, but for the most part, it's her it's her interacting with the world at large and discovering the world, which and then also all of these physical these physically taxing combat scenes that she did actually train for just as much as Eric Bana had trained um to be able to be in those scenes now of course there were certain things because she was i think 15 or 16 at the time that would they would preclude her from being able to do um but um like she was 16 i think she was like yeah 15 or 16 at the time but regardless of that when you watch that physicality that she has and the way that she is able to do things in the moments that she's able to do things it's stunning it's stunning i mean even her performance like like to me what what stuns ultimately in in the film is how she's able to bring us into her world her interior world of a girl, a young girl who's never been outside of the forest and coming into the big city or just being able to be in touch with, with technology that she's never, she's only read about and never seen. Like there's a moment where, uh, she gets to, uh, she gets to Morocco and she gets to a contact that her father has set up and, um, she starts watching TV and everything around her is just way too much. It's sensory overload. And the way that, that she plays that is, it's even better. Like it's better than any adult could have played it. Like, if an adult was given the same scene, like somebody over the age of 25, they, I think that there's an honesty to uh, her performance that I don't think that an actor, like an actor twice her age, would have been able to get to. Um, There's a truth to it that's so unique, that's so just, just unfiltered honesty that... It stuns. I mean, the entire performance stuns. I mean, even in the moments where she's finding herself, like, in new experiences that that please her, the way that that Cersei Ronan is able to show joy, but not make it stupid and not make it like hackneyed or coy or like, oh, how cute is it? It's it's not precious in any way. It's it's like truly something that you would look at and go wow that's pretty fucking like that's a performance i mean it is a fully formed whole performance and i think that that's where that's where in lies her her power as an actress how i will follow this this young actress anywhere she goes and what's exciting to me is the choices like like you know going from going from atonement to hannah says something about her and then the choices that she's made afterwards also say something about her her not taking the scarlet witch role which if you really think about it if she had taken that movie she would be a completely different actress right now. And we probably wouldn't have gotten Lady Bird. We wouldn't have gotten Brooklyn. Um, two films that, like, you know, are so particularly different and unique. Um, I know I've not talked a lot about Hannah, or I'm sorry, about uh, Lady Bird in any of my podcasts. I mean, it was something that came out, um, uh, like, you know, it came, it came out during the time like um it came out in November of last year the, the, we're recording this in 2018 um sometime in June <laughs> uh but like what i find so so shocking is that this young lady um at the age of what 24 i think she's like 24 she was 23 when she made ladybird has a series of performances that not even her contemporaries, the the people that come after or before her, some of them don't even have, and some that are legitimately like considered amazing actresses. This young actress has these perform these like at least there's at least three three major performances, if not five or six performances 
that most actresses like her contemporaries and the people above her would kill to have uh, have had and been able to be as success successful as she is um which also goes to like you know a lot has to be said um in hollywood about parents because parents have the ultimate control over this stuff i mean especially until they're they're 18 and from whatever what i've heard about cersei ronan's parents uh specifically her mother who's also her manager is that they're very down to earth and they're very smart um and they collaborate with her on the the choices that she makes which ultimately is like you know is the best possible case scenario for a young actress in Hollywood, like navigating not only Hollywood, but Euro European cinema too, uh, because that's a completely different animal. I mean, I mean, yes, she's been in studio produced or studio released films, but for the most part, like these films have been developed in Europe or are independent films um, that are made. Uh, she rarely goes into the studio system. I mean, she she has, of course. I mean, unfortunately, she's a part of a very bad adaptation of The Lovely Bones by Peter Jackson, um, uh, which she was well cast. It's just... <sighs> I, I really, I, like, you know, that's a very complicated movie for me because uh, that's an amazing, heartfelt book that I ultimately, like, my heart broke when Lynn, Lynn Ramsey was pushed off the project because Peter Jackson wanted to direct it. Like, the wrong person directed that movie. Lynn Ramsey, like, Lynn, Lynn Ramsey's version of The Lovely Bones will go down for me as one of the great missteps in Hollywood um, because it was just, it was something that should have been, it really should have been, and it could have been something very special, but unfortunately, um, The Lovely Bones is a fucking Mark Wahlberg film, um, and I'll just leave it at that. I love uh, this time period of action films because it's a time period where, like in the early uh, in the early tens, I guess like anywhere from twenty, probably twenty or like two thousand and nine up until um, probably about twenty fifteen. So about this, there's a six year period um, leading up to John Wick where um, action uh, action films had uh, had a musical quality to them um, that I feel like the music was integrated a lot more into the filmmaking than ever before. Like there was like in the eighties, of course there was John Carpenter with his, um, with his beautiful, like synthesis, uh, like synthesis of image and score and how it perfectly meld. And I think that we lost a lot of that in a lot of ways um, during like after after Carpenter started make uh, stopped making really relevant films and I feel like action had become more traditional and less uniquely creative and I feel like around like I said 2009 to 2010 um where these like you know these directors decided to start using um untraditional composers um i think that a lot of that had to do with um with david fincher and his mixing of uh using uh, using like nine inch nails um as as score um you know taking Trenton Reznor and actually making him into a composer and i think that that kind of set the groundwork for a lot of electronica uh, or electronic artists like dj's being able to get a foothold into filmmaking and scoring. But it also had a lot of directors that gave films a very musical quality. And Hannah is a part of the, that particular, uh, that particular small run of films where a director worked with, um, worked with a composer or a, in this case, the chemical brothers, um, to create a very unique, integrate, fully integrated score that almost feels like an action musical. Like, not in a stupid way. I mean, when you watch Hannah, there's no musical numbers, but there's a very musical quality. I mean, um, the what I love about Atomic Blonde and Hannah, 
what they which they share is a love of John Woo and the Hong Kong films of the um, mid to late 80s into the early 90s. And I mentioned that not because of slow motions or doves, but ingrained in them are these musical qualities, these things that John Woo had talked about where he took it from musicals, the whole thing of like when emotion, uh, like, you know, the characters um, cannot express their emotions, they dance. Well, within his movies, when when characters cannot express emotions, they fight, they shoot guns, doves fly. Well, that kind of dictum is very much so alive in both Hannah and Atomic Blonde. They both kind of use it in a very similar way, which is just the, what I love is not straight, straight like copycatting or like ripping off but i like somebody i like a director being able to take an idea process it and filter it through their own uh their own experiences and their technical their technical know-how and spit it out into something that is fully formed for them as an idea but still references that quality with uh within their film um, to the films that they were looking at and digesting. And I, that is perfectly what Joe Wright does here. Um, I, I feel you can feel it in his in the film. like, And that is ultimately one of the really great qualities about this film is how it it takes its own kind of thesis on action and creates, uh, a wholly unique like set of rules for it and when you watch the film it's not that it's it's not that the the like any of this is distracting it's all fully integrated you're never gonna really tell unless you're like you know really deep diving into the film but what you get out of it is something that is so fresh and so unique like like the the perfect moments or the perfect like example of what I'm talking about is um, there's this little like this theme, this jolly, like this very joyous theme that plays throughout the uh, the movie. complimented by um, a character played by Tom Hollander um, who is fucking amazing in this movie and we'll get to him in like two seconds but he whistles the theme and that's just kind of the 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 beautiful integration of score story images um into this film and and into a lot of films during this era that i just i love it, it because it just kind of it brings a, a unique spin to the action film i mean how many times do we need to really see uh somebody like arnold or stallone this fucking meathead take on a bunch of people in a very fascist sort of way uh i mean i'm all for it every once in a while but the action the action genre can be so much more than just that. And I feel like both of these films, even though they're spy films, I feel like they show what can be done with the with the genre if you're if you're allowed not only if you're allowed to, but you take the same kind of care with the uh, with this kind of film that you do with a drama. And I think that ultimately that's what I respect about Joe Wright as a filmmaker with this, which is, is that he approached this film in the same, same manner in which he approached atonement, which he approached darkest hour, his most recent film, which I really, really like anything that he's approached. He, he makes, you know, he takes a very concerted effort to not, not make it any kind of run of the mill like it's not run of the mill like this movie is is anything but it's it's a very unique film uh as an action film and 
it's just his aesthetic works so well with this particular genre that you wonder like you know why he hasn't reapproached it yet um which i'm also very i'm very curious about that ultimately like i find that very interesting that he made this film and then he just decided to go back to to making dramas um and, and i mean this year i mean he made a he made a movie that basically is like atonement the sequel well, i mean it came out last year but uh darkest hour deals with basically the same fucking time period and basically the same incident um the dunkirk uh um the the time in dunkirk i mean like atonement is like the the main thrust of the film is about that particular that particular time and what happens to certain specific people in that um darkest hour is literally about you know churchill's decision and his plans to take uh to get everybody out of dunkirk to fight another day uh, so to have him come into this particular film and make this movie it's it's extremely interesting and it says something about him um i hope that he stretches his wings more uh, with these kinds of films uh i don't know if he will we will see but um we were talking about tom hollander and his whistle the guy has to be like in in this particular movie um he's cast as um as a as a as a contractor that um Kate Blanchett's uh Kate Blanchett's character Melissa oh, Melissa Vigler actually hires to uh take uh to follow and track and capture uh hannah and it's just really interesting how um he plays it because uh him and his group uh his name is isaacs him and his group are they're in germany and essentially i mean they're never it's never said but they're a bunch of fucking neo-nazi skinheads and I mean, you can just tell by the way they dress, the way they act, like they're all other than Hollander. They all have um, they all have shaved heads and they're just a very unsightly group. And the way that the way that Hollander plays the role is so, so unique and it's so creepy and it's so just everything that you could possibly want from a villain he gives you in this role like it was when i saw this i kind of scratched my head and went how did they not get this from him in pirates in the pirates movies i mean he was in the pirates movie he played the 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 quartermaster whatever the fuck he was the governor uh in part two and three or at least in part two um but like he was such a a blank to me in that movie but then in this movie is so fucking weird and creepy and very german or at least a version of a german person that that i think that people have like he's almost like the nightmare um highly sexualized but never but it's weird because the way that they handle like that stuff with him is very innocuous and very different. It's never, it's never in your face. It's never menacing, but it's always in the background in the way that Hollander plays it. Um, his first moments with, uh, his first moments with Kate Blanchett are just in every way, just kind of perfect. They, they feel like they come out of a, like a William Friedkin film. I mean, like, and his character feels like it comes out of a William Friedkin uh, movie or even a Brian De Palma film. And, and I feel like between him and his group, it's like the instant you meet him and what he starts talking about and how, like, just how unnerving his performance is, you instantly are, like, you know, are anxious in the stomach in regards to how is Hannah going to deal with him once they start interacting and when they do interact and when he like, you know, when Hollander's character becomes a threat, it's truly threatening and frightening. Um, you truly have that kind of drone, like punch of adrenaline, um, in uh punch of adrenaline in uh throughout the whole entire film whenever he shows up or whenever one of his crew shows up because you don't know what's going to happen. And that, 
fucking whistle, I tell you. Fucking creepy as fuck. Um, and he's just, he's fucking great. Like, he steals the show. Like, whenever he's on, he steals the show from Kate, Kate Blanchett. And that is definitely tough to do. Um, I, I, I find um, uh, Blanchett's uh, character very interesting. Like, she's not in it a lot. But she's in it enough to make, like, a true it, like a true impression. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about this. Like when she's on screen, unless she like defers to somebody like Hollander, she owns the fucking screen, and she's she truly is what uh, what um, Hannah's character writes on a po- on that postcard, like saying the witch, uh, the wicked witch is dead. She's truly modeled her her performance after like you know a grim fairy tale witch uh it's very interesting because she also uses like this southern affectation um uh like this i think it's a west virginian draw i mean it would make sense because uh melissa vigler is you know based uh is based out of the C- she's a cia director and she's based out of langley so it would make sense that she would have that draw but it's very she uses it in a very artful way like it's an exclamation point um it's an exclamation point in her it in her performance or in the arsenal of her performance um but she definitely has this very malicious or maligned tone to everything that she's doing and um it's it's a great performance because she she definitely like she definitely raises the bar um with regards to like the standard spy villain because if you if you really think about it like like the role is very similar to the one that Chris Cooper played in uh the born identity but here Kate Blanchett is able to make it so much more menacing um, and so much more alive. Uh, it's 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 definitely a hell of a performance. But I mean, when has Kate Blanchett made have has like performed badly or given a bad performance? It, there is no place. I mean, real realistically, there is no place. And uh, I mean. That goes for like the great thing is is that this movie none of the performance are, uh, performances are shitty. There's not a bad performance in the lot of them. I mean, you have like people like uh, uh like Jason Fleming showing up for a couple of scenes as a uh, as a father uh, that's on vacation. You have. <clears throat> Uh, again, I mean, you have Olivia Williams showing up as uh, a mother for uh, a couple of scenes where she and Jason Fleming play a couple that's on vacation with their kids and how Hannah interacts with them is is extremely interesting. I mean, uh, again, I mentioned uh, Tom Hollander and then you also have his guys that are in there, um, Sebastian Hulk and Joel Basman, who play his like goons and all these guys just do this great uh all of this stuff is like great work and, and they don't the thing is is that like all of these actors i mean even even vicky creeps uh crepes uh, who just recently showed up in the phantom thread uh playing um daniel day lewis's uh the the female counterpart to daniel day lewis like his love interest in the movie though if you've seen that movie, love interest is is in quotation marks. I'm literally doing fucking quotation air quotation marks right now because of that. Uh, but she shows up as Hannah's mother in flashbacks, and I mean, all of these people they they're not they're not half-assing it. Like everybody does an amazing job in here and gives a a legitimately good performance, which um, a lot oftentimes like action films won't take the time to get a good actor to play in these smaller roles but the smart ones the ones that I feel like I end up loving more than anything are the ones that actually do exactly what Hannah does does which is populate the movie with really great supporting uh supporting actors that c- could normally basically run the show like they like Jason Fleming is is a great enough like actor and and has much of a, like so much of a presence that I mean he could star in his own film and, and it would be like you know 
part uh, part of the norm. Olivia Williams too. I mean, uh, Kate Blanchett, Eric Bana. But I mean, they're all secondary characters to Cersei Ronan, who in and of herself, I mean, she's an amazing actress. So it's really interesting to recognize and realize that Hannah is a movie that not a lot of people have seen and it's got <laughs> it's got two academy like you know academy award nominees um and a bunch of lauded actors and it's an amazingly directed film and hardly anybody watches it or how hardly anybody actually talks about it, which is just a fucking shame because between the score, the action set pieces, um, the, the amazing work that's just done by all, like you, you would think that this would be in the conversation a lot more, which I hope eventually it will. I mean, who knows? Maybe people will start talking about it. You know, you guys will start talking about it and slowly but surely it'll like infect everybody. Um, it's on DVD and Blu-ray and it's streaming. Uh, you know, you can buy it anywhere. It's relatively inexpensive. I mean, I've owned it since it was released. So uh, with that, we're not going to do a remake this, uh, a remaking of this film because Personally, I mean, it was released. It was only released about seven years ago, so it really doesn't need that. But I will make a case that I would love, love, love to see uh, Cersei Ronan and Joe Wright get back together, like, and collaborate again. But I don't want them to do some costume drama again. I would really love to see them do um, do a sequel to Hannah, like. Because at this point, Cersei Ronan can write her own check. She's one of those actresses that is just going to get bigger and bigger as time passes because of how how lauded her performances are. She's not going to need to go to action. I know that she won't. And I mean, point in fact, I think that she probably doesn't want to. But if the right script came around, the same sort of level of talent and passion was behind Hannah too, or a sequel, whatever way you would want to call it, I would be there front row and center. I mean, this this movie begs to have like them reapproach this character in fifteen years, where instead of fifteen, she's now thirty, and where she is now, like that would be extremely interesting to me. And that does it for this episode. Um, we'll be back next week with um, in honor in honor of July, which I always think of as um, America because of the Fourth of July. What we're going to be doing is we're actually doing a, a a series on America, and it's going to be done in the way that it's not going to be done in a cheeky sort of way. It's really it's going to be an honest look at America and what I feel is great in America and what I feel maybe is not so great in America. And we're going to take a look at it through movies. And I don't think that you're going to, I think you're going to be surprised because it's all, it's going to be done the way that the B movie podcast would do things. We're going to, we're going to look at genre. Um, we're going to look at some stuff that maybe isn't genre, but all the same, we're going to have a good time doing it. Um, I really hope that you guys turn in, tune in for this one because this one's very different, um, than anything that's come before. Um, you can always look at the letterbox account that we run. Uh, B Movie Pod. Uh, that's the handle, or that's the username for uh, the handle, I guess you could say, for the Letterbox account. Because we already have the first two, um, the the first two movies that we're going to be watching up there on the site under our season two list uh, that we're we're constantly updating a week in advance. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I will tell you the name of the po- uh, of the double feature. It's This is America Entrepreneurs. Now, what that means, you're going to have to actually go to that letterbox account and find out, or you can wait until next week when we have the double features uh, roll out or the, uh, the two episodes roll out to you. Um, speaking of social media, we are not only on letterbox, but we are on Twitter and Instagram. Our handles are B movie pod. It's for every single one of them. The letter B, the word movie, the word pod all together. No lines, no dashes, no bullshit. Uh, you can always read my work and the work of my colleagues on um, the movie aisle 
themovieisle.com. That's the website that I own and uh, contribute to and uh, am editor-in-chief of. Not to, like, wax my own fucking car. Uh, it's just that's <laughs> that's the way it's worked out. Uh, you can always read all of our work there. There's some really great articles. Uh, right now, actually, presently, if you were wondering what my thoughts were on the 1972 Wes Craven quote unquote classic uh, Last House on the Left uh, you can always go to the movie aisle and take a look at that review because the Arrow has a really really deluxe big super edition coming out um, on actually um, then uh, on July 3rd I think of uh, this uh, this week uh, which is in the coming weeks so you can take a look at that I think you will be surprised at my thoughts maybe not if you're a longtime listener you probably are not surprised about my about my thoughts about uh, that particular movie but we also got other some other really great stuff if you guys liked the uh, if you guys liked all of the discussion about female uh, female empowerment and discussing like you know movies about uh, about women I would actually strongly suggest you look at our ongoing series called her story uh, that is written by Kristen Lopez who's been a guest on the the show she will be a guest again um, she's taking uh, much maligned actresses that were labeled possibly difficult to work with and taking a look at it from a new perspective that maybe uh, that uh, that maybe they're they're not in the wrong that it was Hollywood in the wrong um, uh, and takes a look at their work and their careers writ large there's already four of them I truly 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 hope that you actually take a look at those because there's there's some great work that Kristen is doing they're kind of taking a look and re readjusting what we've come to expect from uh like you know female actresses and kind of resetting us and looking at how how hard and how unjust it was that some of these very talented women did not did not really get the careers that they they earned um and you can always find all of our back issues uh, or our back uh, episodes there and then also on iTunes and Stitcher. At least I hope that we're on Stitcher. I'm actually going to be doing a deep dive into that in the other different uh, podcast, uh, uh, the podcasting apps. So I can just make sure that you guys are getting all of our, uh, you're getting all of our content from across the different things. Because I know that not everybody has an iPhone. I know y'all have Androids and different other phones. So I want to make sure that you guys are able to get that. Or or if you're listening on, um, you can always, uh, if you're listening on your computer, you can always just go directly to the website, to our website. And there's a a running stream of that. It's all to say there's a lot of different places that you can get our work and our content, and there's a lot of good content on the movie aisle. Um, so please check it out. Uh, please, please, please. And um, again, we will be back next week um, with a new double feature. And of course, as always, I want to just thank you guys for your listenership because it is very important. Uh, we, I mean, I'm not getting paid for this. I'm not going to open up a Patreon. All the bonus content is the bonus content that you get. All the content here is the content that you get, at least for right now. Maybe if we get super big, maybe we'll open something up and make it really worth your while. But for right now... It's all out of love for you guys and our ongoing adventure into Forgotten Cinema. So until next time, talk to you soon.